Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. Brought to you by Elite Consulting Partners, it's the only podcast offering unfiltered guidance and direct advice for all things concerning financial advisors, RIAs, and the practitioners in the wealth management business. Learn more and subscribe today at EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcast. And now, here's your host, Frank LaRosa. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. I am your host, Frank LaRosa, and I am very excited to have a guest on today that's going to talk about uh, tactical ideas to help you grow your business. Um, I'm joined today by John Randall, who's the, the owner and founder of Extraordinary Financial Advisors, which is a tremendous advisor coaching company. Uh, he's worked with some of the biggest producers in the industry. Um, John, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, doing awesome, Frank. Thanks for having me on. We got some incredible information to go over. So let's dive into it. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's funny. I feel like we just had this conversation. Oh, wait a minute. We did. Uh, for, for my listeners that are joining, we did about 20 minutes of this call, uh, 15 minutes of this call, and I realized I wasn't recording the session. So we, we got like a do-over here. Um, it turns out Frank is a human after all. We thought it was superhuman, but he is human. I'm not perfect, which is what my <laughs> wife tells me all the time. Um, so it is what it is. But uh, so, so John, um, just give give my audience some background on, on your company, uh, where you came from. And, and from my audience, from my perspective, uh, John was referred to me by uh, a friend of mine, uh, business partner of mine that we're doing some things with, uh, who's the number one producer at Ameriprise on the independent side, uh, John Cotton. He runs Cotton Wealth Management. I believe he's number two or three on Barron's, uh, on the Barron's production list, top producer list. So um, he's, he's pretty good at what he does. And if uh, you're good enough to work with him, um, I think that you're more than more than good enough to handle um, pretty much everybody else because uh, he's one of the largest, if not the largest business that I know of um, yeah. for somebody. So background on Extraordinary Financial Advisors. What was your background? How did this all come about? Yeah, I spent most of my career as an advisor. Like most of you listening, I started straight out of college in the late 90s in Long Island, New York, where my wife's from. And that's where I got to know John Cutton. He was one of my you know training managers. He showed me the ropes and how to be a great advisor. And uh, really had tremendous you know leadership, great people showing me the path up there, which was an awesome start to the business. Spent my first five years there. One of my wife's brothers was on a baseball scholarship down in North Carolina, where we live now. We were traveling down to watch him play. We fell in love with it here. Cheap real estate, really nice weather. And we decided to move. So... I kind of sold what I built in New York and started from scratch. So it was uh, quite a big uh, move there. But in that transition, it actually launched the coaching consulting that I do. So there was a group of advisors that said, would you show me and tell me about what all those top producers in New York were doing? So I showed them how to do more with their clients. When uh, I you know, started over and grew again. I look, I knew what worked and what didn't to acquire a client. Yeah. So I just did what worked. Yeah, your ramp up time was easier because you already knew the it was mistakes. so much easier. Right. Sort of not to pitch uh, your coaching services, but that's why I hire a coach because they've yeah. seen the mistakes uh, and they help people get ramped up much faster. So, yeah. So it was really exciting to start over and I grew really fast. And so another group of advisors said, Whoa, how do you acquire clients and assets so quickly? Would you show me? 
And so some people I knew kind of, you know, went around the country. Someone asked me, would you come to Texas and teach people there how to, how to grow? Someone I knew moved to Florida, said, hey, would you come to Florida, show other advisors how to grow? And this thing just sort of spawned around the country. And um, so I was building my practice at this time and did, you know, organic growth, did mergers, acquisitions. I trained advisors from scratch, recruited advisors, had acquisitions. And uh, as this consulting business grew, I just was gravitated to it. I was really passionate and still am about helping other advisors grow their business. And it became a pretty big business in itself. So I kind of weaned off my practice and sold the last bit of it uh, in 2017. So this is all that I do, me and my team of coaches, we help advisors grow. So we go from the basics of doing more with clients, attracting new clients, now it becomes a different game of, all right, I've grown, I need other advisors on my team to help with clients. How do I find them? How do I compensate them? I've got an acquisition opportunity. How do I handle that? I've never done this before, all the way to the John Cuttons that I've done it many, many times. So it's really fun working with different advisors at different levels, but helping them get to the next level, that's really what we do. Got it. So uh, so what we're going to do today, really, I want to talk about one component because we're going to do, uh, for, the, for the listeners, uh, this is going to be a three-part series. Uh, we're really going to talk about three, three sort of three aspects of growing your business. Uh, the first today is really uh, understanding um, the preventers of growth. Why aren't you growing? Right. The second part, will be about solving that problem, the solutions. And then the third part is really going to be about execution, right? Now now that you know why, you think you know what you do, what to do, now how do you do it? Uh, so let's let's dive into, I mean, you made uh, a comment on our, on our, uh, on our, I'll call it our rehearsal tape, uh, on our rehearsal tape about a glass ceiling. And so talk about the, the first thing that uh, you find advisors have in common when they're trying to grow, sort of what levels and what what are the common themes that they struggle with? I would say the number one preventer growth at any level is capacity, and it's too many clients. So we see individual producers, they tend to cap out between a million, 1.5 million is typical. Sure, there's some outliers that have gone to three, four million without another advisor on their team. They're usually working pretty insane hours or just have really, really high net worth clients that isn't, you know, typical for the the typical advisor listing. But there's a just a sound barrier there and it comes down to clients and how much time it takes to service them. Some of the practices that have graduated to bringing in other advisors on their team, we see another point of about two and a half, three million, they sort of get stuck because what they've done is they dumped all their small clients on the other advisors, they get clogged up and they can't really help. And it just keeps hitting these glass ceilings. So capacity management is one of the single biggest issues we're seeing in these firms and really overcoming those problems unlock the capacities to growth. But I think diving into, you know, what's possible for number of clients you know, what is typical in the industry here. It's a nice barometer for people listening to evaluate their own existing problems or existing problem, or, you know, new problems that you might face if you are growing. So when you look at that, then giving their advisor, giving their, their clients off to smaller advisors, right? You have to figure out what path you're going to, you're going to go on, right? So advisors, they've been trained their whole lives, 
for the most part, right? To gather, gather clients, gather right. clients. I always say cl- clients are like an advisor's whoopee, right? <laughs> they want to have all their clients, right? Yeah. This client, you, like you're basically making minimum wage on this client. Why are you keeping them? Um, yeah. Because of some reason down the road, you know, years ago, and when they first started, and they were our, that's like, the one. That's the client. most common story I hear. Yeah. Right, right. Oh, this person was with me my first year and I wasn't making anything. They trusted me. And, and but yeah. you're right. When you really look in the mirror as, as a business owner, you know, for those of you that are in business and not just the financial advisor, which is the way you need to think. You know, we learned the craft of being an advisor, but to go to the next level, you've got to start thinking like a business owner or an entrepreneur. And when you really evaluate, you know, how much revenue or profits am I making for each client relationship? It starts to, you know, help you think differently about some of those small clients that you've just been hanging on to because they were a part of your first year or second year or for some reason like that. Um, you know, advisors, I, I heard the saying, I didn't invent this, but a lot of advisors have the heart of a social worker, but the mind of a capitalist. So you're a really nice person if you're holding on to those people, which is great. But at the end of the day, are you really helping them? If you don't have the capacity to help them, you know, are, are they really better off? So this is kind of the, the issues we have of just, you know, like the whoopee, we got to hold on to our baby blanket. It's we just hold on to these clients and hoard them. And there's a self-limiting belief of, oh, my gosh, if I let any go, I, I, I lose revenue. You know, that's how much my, you know, phone subscription cost or my technology bill is. I could never let go of these people. But we've really got to find ways to, you know, let go and do more at the top and generate more revenue. And it's very possible to generate more with half the clients in your book, which we'll dive more into in the next uh, podcast here. But that kind of just hoarding everybody you know, as you're right, Frank, we're conditioned. That's what we have to do in the beginning. And the game changes at these different levels. So we have to change our thinking to be able to graduate to the next level, which is difficult for humans in general. Um, I'm finishing my PhD in psychology and human beings just don't like change. We're wired for uh, sort of the keep everything the same around here. That's the way our brain's wired. So I think a difficult part of these different leaps is the game changes and we have to think differently. And it's challenging because it's totally different. No one ever showed us that. And your point that you said earlier, you need someone that's walked that path or a coach consultant to help you see the path and get to that next level. Right. What about when, uh, you know, I, when I was, when I was working with advisors or even, even today, when we have these conversations, like when, when we're transitioning an advisor, I talked to him about using it as an opportunity to sort of call the, you know, call the herd, right? Call yes. the client base um, or reset standards for certain clients. You have a smaller clients uh, that you know have money elsewhere. You Using a transition to reset the table and say to Mrs. Jones, you know, listen, I'm, we're going to make this move. I'd love to come with you, but our minimum is X. Right. We have a whatever the minimum is, everyone has a different. Um, I've worked with clients that have no minimum, $500,000 minimum to $50 million minimums. Right. Um, that's fine. But what about when an advisor says to you, Well, listen, John, I, I like I, I don't deal with those clients anymore. Right. I have, you know, S- Susan and she's my, you know, she's my top notch sales support and she answers all their calls and, 
She takes care of all their interests and all their, and she's registered. So she can run their trades. So I don't even deal with them anymore. Right. That's, you know, I, I, I have capacity. What are your thoughts on that? Cause I have some, some thoughts on, on, on that, but I'm curious how you deal with those types of advisors giving that pushback. So we, as humans, we find all these reasons to, you know, believe that our bias is, uh, is the way, right? We find all these, you know, pieces of information to keep things the same. So, you know, that there, that, that example you gave is perfect. We hear it all the time. It's an example of, you know, I want to keep things the same. And, you know, then it becomes, you know, as a business owner, it's just as your time for you as, you know, the owner or the main advisor might be listening here. Well, as you grow a team, you know, what is that person's time worth? When you have other people on your team, you're making an investment in them. And your goal should be to generate a return on the investment in your people. So if they're dealing with the small people, you know, is that really worth it? Or should they be helping with your better people and creating a better experience, driving more revenue and more referrals at the top? So unless you've got a really giant high volume team and you've got a segment that can handle the really, really small clients, it's almost like a different business model, but right. we've seen in like really large practices like like Cutton, um, they sort of develop their own internal call center, like all the big firms have done, right? All the big wirehouse firms, they comp their advisors if if clients have half million plus in AUM. The smaller ones, they're intended to work with their call center because they're better suited for those clients. And it's a way they're controlling, keeping their advisors working with the better ones. So we can learn from those, but it's still a trap to say, uh, you know, not only a team member, but another advisor on my team can handle this stuff and shield me from the work. But as an overall business, it's still going to dilute your growth potential, your revenue potential, and your profit potential because they're sucked into really low dollar per hour rates. Right, and they're you know they're they're dealing dealing with um you know a client with fifty thousand um, dollars, which is look that might be all they they have, so it's really important uh, to your your thing about are you really helping them? But if they have fifty thousand dollars and a client with five million dollars calls, and your support staff has been on the phone with operations for the fifty thousand dollar client for two hours, you know it's it drains her, him or her for the next conversation. Um, so you really have to look at. You know, you're even in your point about being um, a practitioner. So if you're in a W two space, right, you still should be looking at this the same way. You still should be looking at what is your what is your sort of rate per hour, right? When you're working with a client, how much time are you spending with that client? How much time is your staff spending with that client? And can your staff be better? You know, better their time be better spent in increasing the service that you have with your better clients. Which then gets more referrals, and you know, th- there's a whole ripple effect there. Um, but it's just overcoming that that hurdle and comfort, and giving you know, giving the way. You made a co- um, you made a comment, or you are, you you described sort of two different types of practices as as a boutique kind of practice and an ensemble practice. Can you maybe just get into that a little bit about what you how you look at it for, as a, a a group of practice? as a boutique practice versus an ensemble practice? Yeah, there's really kind of a divergence of, of uh, you look at really larger practices, and I'm talking those doing like eight figures in revenue plus, there really seems to be this crossroads you hit where you either see 
Um, I've heard the term lifestyle practice, boutique practice, where it's this very small number of clients, but very, you know, high-end clients, high level of experience. So it's a lot easier to operate. There's not a giant team. It's pretty simple. And look, those businesses are really profitable, right? It's it's a great living that might be in the 70s as far as, you know, profit margin percentage. It's really quite great. So um, if if you're out there and you're thinking about the number of clients you work with, it, it's you know really limiting that and moving up market, continually working with your better clients and duplicating them. That's kind of the boutique path. The more of the ensemble or the scalable practice, which you know, it, it, as you look at the Barron's top 100, you see a lot more of that. Yes, there's some there that just have super high net worth clients. But an easier way to get there is by leveraging others. So that's what the ensemble practice is about, is I'm going to attract other advisors with a great you know, value that they want to be here. And then it becomes about how can we have enough clients and source enough clients that these advisors can make a living. It's a profit margin you know, for the firm. That seems to be, you know, that's where the really large ones go. So, you know, to go through some of those, you know, growth fundamentals, yes, people can try and do more for clients, attract new clients and kind of take their business to a certain level. But there's so much time and energy that people have. So at some point you need others. And it is pretty easy to scale if you think about this like an entrepreneur. So people like uh, like John Cutton, who's done all the growth aspects in this business, you know, he thinks differently than most advisors. He thinks, you know, I can go out and buy a million in revenue. I can hire an advisor for a couple hundred thousand a year to work that revenue. That's a pretty awesome profit margin. And I can go do that 50 times around the country and have a pretty massive business. So it's just, you know, different thinking that a lot of these larger scale firms have. And it's hard when we're, you know, in that those phases I talked about of a million to 1.5 million, even the two and a half to three to even think at that level. But to see where you're going and know your path really helps because a lot of people kind of get stuck in between. They're not sure if they want to bring in people. They might say, I don't like developing advisors or leading them. Well, that's okay. But you decide what path you're going to go down. But that's really the two. If you look at really the fastest growing, the largest, they're going one of those routes with more of them going more of the ensemble route and leveraging other advisors to help with the army of clients. Yeah. I call that sort of building an enterprise, right? You're mm-hmm. you're trying to um, recruit advisors in. Yeah. You're going to get some successions and some purchases, uh, but, but you know, you're going to reach a capacity constraint because you might be really good at buying practices, uh, but if you don't have enough advisors to service those new clients, because the uh, the other advisor you just bought is leaving eventually, uh, you have to think ahead. And so I think that um, that's becoming more and more popular. Like I, I agree with you, um, especially as the advisor aging, you know, the population has gotten older yes. and older, continues to get older with less people coming in. Yeah. Um, you know, those advisors that are looking to sell uh, need to go to a firm that can handle them. You know, we're not going to, maybe we can get into it a little bit, but you know, in terms of M and A, if you want to be a good a good buyer, you have to show your the seller, the potential seller, that you can you can handle uh, their clients, right? Yeah, that's one of the yeah. things that and the seller looks at. Well, what happens when I sell? You, you don't have capacity as it is. How are you going to work with my clients? Yeah. 
And so you have to have a better story there. Um, and, and I guess that's how you, you know, that's that's what you're seeing when you're talking about these ensemble teams. Yeah, it's it's probably, you know, capacity is probably the number one reason that uh, acquisitions don't work out. Right. Because sellers see that. They're like, wait a minute, this is one person. They're already pretty filled up. How are they ever going to handle all my people? And uh, even if it's multiple advisors, if they're all filled up, I mean, there's just no capacity for it. Some of the best acquirers I have, um, I actually just visited one down in Houston last week. They've got three advisors that don't have much going on, but they have them on the books because they're ready for the next acquisition. They're highly trained. They've been developed. They don't have a lot of client activity now, but you know what? When the next big acquisition comes, they've got capacity and they can introduce you know, a seller to say, these people are ready. They're really, really good. They're highly proficient in what they do. They're CFPs. They have check all the boxes, but we have capacity right here. It really, it makes a huge difference. And, uh, you know, it's a dream to recruit somebody from a, you know, another firm, another broker dealer or an RA to bring in and, and acquire them. But you've got to have capacity to go and, you know, to really build, you know, we're seeing too the, um, you know, you're the expert in this, Frank, but the, the advisors are attracted to some of these ensembles, right? Whether they have a great book and they want to plug into resources, it's excellent. Or maybe they don't have as big a book as they would like. And they would like to get access to more clients, you know, a larger ensemble or enterprise practice can supply that with them. So figuring this stuff out has, you know, exponential benefits of attracting some of these recruits. And it just allows mergers and acquisitions to be a heck of a lot easier. Yeah. And you have to start um, visualizing. One of the questions I ask our clients is, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm. Do you want to be an individual producer? Do you want to be a business owner? Which means you have a you're an individual producer, you just have a business, right? I call it a practitioner producer. Yeah. That's you're at a wirehouse firm or a W two shop, and you're just doing your thing in your little four walls. Um, if you're a business owner, you're now sort of maybe and still still looks like that, but you're independent. You're running your own P and L and paying for your own bills and all that sort type of thing. And then, or do you want to be, or do you want to be an enterprise? You want to really build something special, and that's where this recruiting comes in. And you have to be thinking ahead. So to your yes. point with that team that you're talking to, they're thinking ahead. Um, you can't wait to say, well, I'll, I'll hire a, a salaried advisor once I find the practice to buy. Yeah. It's yeah. it's not the chicken or the egg, right? It's have the advisor, have the story set when you're in, when you're because you you're only gonna get one shot at that acquisition. And so you need to make it you, you need to make your best shot and have you know, bring bring the whole team in, and here's why. And you know, it's one of the yeah. things that I that that I you know John does really well, right? Um, he, John Cotton, not John Randall, um, but I'm sure you had some saying that um, some help <laughs> with that. But he, you know, he has a whole presentation that he goes through and talks about why you and your practice and your clients are going to be better with us because of all of my team and everything we do. So I think that's. He's sort of addressed that, but you know, I think with this topic, in terms of the biggest, the biggest thing on this topic, sort of wrapping it up here, is you know, you you got to identify what the problem is, right? And you have to be really honest with yourself in terms of why you're not growing, um, if you even want to grow, right? Some, I don't know if you find that. I mean, do you ever find advisors are just like, hey, I'm good, you know? I don't, yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of complacency in the industry. And you think about 
you know, advisors, that's a pretty lucrative career. Some people are saying, I'm making more money than I ever thought. I have more money than I'll ever need. You know, I really don't need any more. I can play golf three times a week and work kind of part-time. And this is pretty sweet. (laughs) I don't really want to make my life more complex. So, Hey, that's okay. There's a lot of those practices out there. um, But you know, there's, as you said, there's less advisors in the industry. It's going to continue to be less. The need in America continues to grow. Right. There's more and more and more seven figure clients that need help. They're looking for a financial advisor who can actually help them and not be at like a you know large firm's call center. They want individual help from a human. And what a great business to be in where <laughs> we can do that. So to jump on this opportunity is great. But um, I'm excited about that. Those that that really want to grow and really want to take advantage of this massive, massive opportunity is this industry is only going to get better and better. Awesome. Um, for those that are listening that have interest in working with you, um, obviously on your on your sign behind you, it's xfa.coach. Um, uh, what what number if they want to give you a buzz? What number can they reach you at? Yeah, uh, I could call me uh, 252-412-2147. Go to our website, super easy. Um, we made it easy to find. You can check out to some of our team and submit right on there. But uh, yeah, look forward to helping more practices. We got a great group of coaches that uh, are ready to help people grow. That's what we're passionate about. Awesome. Thank you for your time. Uh, for the listeners, thank you again for listening. Uh, we're gonna, uh, you know, we're gonna have another one coming out. It's gonna be really good. We're gonna get into some more deeper dive, tactical things, sort of like within the business. Once you get the idea and the principle of you know what the, what your problems are uh then what do you do so uh so keep listening uh but thanks for joining and i look forward to the next call awesome thanks frank thanks thanks for listening to advisor talk with frank larosa if you're looking for more advice or solutions on any topics in the financial services industry or you just want to subscribe to our podcast head on over to elite slash podcasts <laughs>